Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. I am your host, Aaron Osborne. I've got the dishwasher going. I've got the door open. I've got the aircon on. It's all happening here, so apologies that this intro sounds like absolute garbage. Um, but welcome back. Had a couple of weeks break uh, because I'm moving house and work's been busy and finding time to do podcasts is somewhat difficult sometimes. But we're back in a big way. This week, my guest is Emily Kelly. Emily is part of the Death Proof PR family. She started it with Beck Riato, who we've spoken to on the podcast before, and uh, both very lovely people and both interesting people, and I think do something really uh, particular and really their own within the music industry, and I really like the way they work, and I like the stuff they've done, and they're very interesting to talk to. So it was fun having Emily come over and have a chat with me about that and talk about how she got into music and you know how that influenced her and influenced her work and things like that as well. So this was fun. Um, I got a good couple of podcasts coming up. I'll be back into doing them every week now for the next couple of weeks, which is good. Hopefully moving house doesn't cause me too much grief. Wish me luck, everybody. Picking energy providers and internet providers is a pain in the ass. Um, but yes, this is Oblivious Maximus, episode 39, with Emily Kelly from Death Proof PR. Please enjoy it, and have a fantastic day. Brutal! my podcast you're welcome mm. such a cozy setup yeah it is look at you reclined on your couch yeah um <laughs> i was saying last week when i was recording a different one that you will notice it happened to me but i as i go i get further and further <laughs> like as you get more relaxed down into the couch <laughs> it's awesome i really like it yeah i don't Makes know i feel casual as well like inviting no people pressure. here <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so how did you get into music? What was your first interest spark or inkling towards it? Like first, for, like youngest? Yes. First thing you can remember is what first I like thing, to ask people. Right. Oh, cool. I'm so psyched to be talking about music for like 45 <laughs> minutes. Sweet. Um, first, youngest, most basic memory of music is just reading my dad's vinyl collection. Mm-hmm. Um and it wasn't like a particularly cool collection. It was just kind of pop music of the time. So it was Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. um, Wings, uh, Beatles, a bit of Whitney Houston. Oh, wow. Maybe a bit of Banana Rama. Okay. For good measure, James Taylor, yeah. Carol King, and um, Billy Joel. And was that stuff that like was permeating through the house all the time or was that just stuff that that's he, the music he that we had available okay you know what i mean I, yeah. I, I used to just like set myself up in front of the the stereo like the record player mm-hmm. and put like awesome over ear headphones on and that would be what i did with my saturday yeah right how crazy is that that's, to think yeah if someone was like what did you do with your day i'd be like listen to music and i can assure you no <laughs> child does that anymore they don't do they <laughs> no yeah i don't way. think they do and you like you'd no. get the liner notes out and you'd read through the lyrics as they happened and then you'd read all the notes and mm. f- the full immersive 
front to back LP that's... experience that is gone, so gone. Yeah, well, I think I think that's probably why. I mean, I don't think that's a huge reason, but I'd say it's definitely like a good part of why vinyl has made a comeback is because yeah. it got to the, it went from being like that so immersive and so interesting to being totally digital, which is about as boring as you can possibly get. <laughs> yeah. And then to bounce back from that, it had to go all the way back yeah. to being a big square thing yeah. that you can hold with two hands. And, and you can read all the notes yeah. and look at the artwork and take yeah. it all in. And yeah, it's so cool. I, I remember getting a download for something ages ago and it was like, if you download it, you get the booklet. And yeah. I was like, I don't want a PDF yeah, of your I know, booklet. Right? Like, yeah, you get the liner notes sent yeah. to you on email. I'm, I'm it's not, not going to the read same. them. Yeah, I don't listen to. I'm not a vinyl collector. Are you two listen to vinyl? I'm record player. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't I'm really not collect. There yet. I'm not. I'm not quite. Um, I just buy things I like. That's my. You know. Do you if, listen? Do you use that? Yeah, much? yeah. I do. Yep. Mainly yeah. when I'm cooking. Okay, yeah. so you're still like doing stuff, but you're not plunking yourself yeah, in no, front I'd, of it and, and. But I think I I, I'm a bit younger than you and. By the time I was sort of paying attention to music, it was yeah. on CD and stuff yeah. like that. But my memory of doing that sort of thing was music being on in the background. Yeah. And, like, both my parents are, like, musically inclined in terms of, like, my dad really likes listening to music and my mum plays music and yeah. listens to it as well. Sweet. But I definitely didn't have... At least the first time I think I ever saw a record player was in my Opa's house. And my Opa only listened to like weird, like beer drinking songs. <laughs> so, like, like, yeah. Is that what's Opa? Is that your grandpa? Yeah, he's Dutch. Did he let you put the needle on or did he like um, do I'm, it himself? I'm sure he would have. Yeah, no, he wouldn't yeah. have given a shit. But he, the music he listened to was insane. <laughs> Just like, weird Dutch beer drinking we, and, songs. And like Oompa songs. <laughs> he really, he, he was awesome. really good at playing the accordion. Yeah. And so he loved listening to records that like featured the accordion. Oh, well. Wow. Yeah. I can just picture the front covers now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's boxes of them in my mum's garage. <laughs> yeah, sweet. I'm sure they'll, they'll be worth something soon. Yeah. Make sure you grab them. Um, um, yeah. But so how did that sort of develop for you then from first getting into that stuff? So I listened to that because it was all that was available. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then I think that I grew out of it and progressed to like being a young girl and realized that it was deeply unhip to like James Taylor because he was an old man, <laughs> an old bald man. Yep. So I just listened to the radio and I, I listened to Hot 30, Phil and Jackie O, um, commercial radio top 20 countdown yeah. crap. And that's a big blank moment in my in my growing up. Yeah, because I can't recall anything yep. that was any good during that time. But it was mm. just like, you know, how music becomes like a socialization thing. Like, yeah. you just like what you're, you think you're supposed to like. So, mm. it this was a it. really pop stuff you could dance to. Yeah, of course. You know, I was one of those, you know, the girls that would get up in a group and do the dance at assembly. <laughs> and, all the, and everyone would be like, oh. Assemblies need those <laughs> girls, right? You need, yeah. we need you guys. And then what I was doing, which was playing doing? new metal to like <laughs> 500 people who definitely didn't want to hear new metal. You reckon they preferred some girls dancing to 100%. real McCoy another night? <laughs> 100%. I, oh, good. I know. <laughs> I have these fond memories. I think back on it like anytime 
I ever think like I'm doing something really cool in a band or like <laughs> something I've done. There's like really, I sort of get up myself for a minute or two. I'm like, man, I'm fucking killing it. And then I just like always have a flash of either like a show that we bombed really hard at or <laughs> being at school and being like, boys, we got this. Everyone's going to go fucking bananas when we get out there. Watch this. And getting up at an assembly and playing like, I don't know, killing in the name or something yeah. without swearing. Yeah. At, <laughs> at, at, a, at assembly yeah. and literally every person that you interact with staring at you and thinking you are so fucking lame. Oh like, man. But that must've turned around for you at some point when everyone else kind of cottoned on the rage against the machine were actually. Yes. Well, I mean, cool. <laughs> I think as well, the corner turned when I stopped caring <laughs> Like it's Which just is like, true oh, punks. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Like, yeah, you embraced it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that was... Um, I think we were the kind of girls that annoyed people immensely. Mm. Just terrible taste. I annoyed my brother a lot. I remember we, my older brother, he's four years older than me, he would be like a Triple J listener and I would be a Fox FM listener and we would fight all the time in the car because he wanted to listen to Triple J and I wanted to listen to Fox. Yeah. And that was the cause of all our arguments because he just thought I was a massive twat. I wanted to listen to Cotton Eye Joe, you know. I just thought that was the pinnacle of music. That's why you were dancing at school. (laughs) Yeah, Cotton Eye Joe Joe dances. And um, I reckon that's why he took me aside when I was about, when I hit teen years and Mm. was like, I am going to teach you about musics. (laughs) Yeah. And he literally locked me in his bedroom and he played albums for me front to back. Wow. I know, I like remember what sort of stuff? I remember very vividly it was um it wasn't like super hip, but it was better than Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> it was Great. Foo Fighters Novelty self-titled. Dance music. <laughs> yeah, anything would have been better. It was Foo Fighters self titled, Smashing Pumpins, um, Infinite Sadness, Soundgarden. It was a super I don't know which album it was. Nirvana album. Um, some Metallica. Yep. He gave me the full spectrum. Yeah. And I think he was just like, like any of this. <laughs> you know? This is like, better than Develop a taste in any one of these. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it totally worked. Yeah. He totally put me on this this kind of alternative mm-hmm. music path. And where, whereabouts did you grow up? Uh, so it's kind of in Melbourne. It's um, in kind of Hurstbridge area. So it's about an hour north. Okay. In the suburbs, but it was we were always on big acreages, not farms, but right, right. always had heaps of room. And so, what what was like the the alternative climate like in that part of Melbourne? Oh no, non-existent. Yeah. Like it was close enough to the city for the city to still be this very cultural center. Like mm-hmm. that's where you had to go if you wanted to to do anything cool. Yeah. Um, but I liked that no one else really liked that stuff yet. Yeah, right. You know what? Uh, do you have older siblings as well? No, I'm the you oldest. Do, you're the oldest? Yes. Well, you've got younger siblings then. Do indeed. They will perpetually forever look up to you. Like, regardless mm. of how your life lives change, I just think the older sibling has this cool, you yeah. know what I mean, that you cannot get rid of. Yep. And I still I d- have I mean, with my brother, like, we're super good friends now and we're total even, but there's still this sense of... You yeah. always liked what they liked when you were growing up and you just can't shake it? Well, me, like, I have a, a sister who's two years younger than me and then I have one who's ten years younger than me. Yeah. And the sister... I'm very close with both my sisters, but the sister of mine that's two years younger than me, 
I definitely had a period of like pushing all my music onto her. Yeah. And she came to shows with me. Did she like that? Yeah, 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 she was into it. And she's sort of obviously grown into her own person now. Yeah. Um, And then it was quite funny because I sort of had left home and been out of things. Like I moved out of home when my other sister was about 10. And then it was quite funny that some years later, my littler sister started getting into like, Parkway Drive and things like that. And I was mm. like, hey, I know this stuff. <laughs> I know those people. Like, Let me force some stuff under you. <laughs> you didn't introduce her to Parkway. No, she I got didn't. there. She got there herself. But, oh, that's good. Like, you know, and then subsequently has come to see like my band playing yeah. things that I've gone to and stuff. And nice. I've always found that to be like, I apologize, Ellie and Claire, if you don't <laughs> like that I've done this to you. But I'm always like, oh little glimpse of them liking the weird thing that I like. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, you really got to like it as well. Yeah, that's sweet. And I bet you that they do. I bet you that even if they don't like it, they still like would think that it is the cool thing to do. <laughs> well, it's just so. an older brother thing, especially because they're sisters. I don't know. Yeah. And like my brother is and was, and he won't care that I say this, like inherently a deeply uncool person. He's a nerd. He plays Dungeons and Dragons and likes metal, fantasy metal. But I think that makes him a massive legend. You know what I mean? Like I still just think he's the coolest guy ever. Well, sticking to stuff like that is important, I think. Yeah. So he went off and developed his own taste in music and introduced me to, to some of his taste. And then I went and found my own yeah. kind of stuff to like, which was all the um, Triple J kind of alternative music at the time. So it was Grin of Spoon, mm-hmm. Super Jesus, yep. Jebediah, Spider Bait, Powderfinger, like yeah. all the stuff that Triple J was flogging at the time. I'd go to um, Fruit Bowls. Do you know what they are? Like they're, no. they're like kind of a regional country Victoria um, bands would come and play at skate rinks. Okay. So it's like a drug yeah, and alcohol free Canberra all kind of ages. Had those things as well. I'm sure yeah. they would have. Yeah, yeah. Like all ages supervised. Yeah. But sure. you still got some triple J bands in. And yeah. That was, that was pretty sweet. <laughs> well, it's, it's quite, I mean, I'm sure here as well, like in Melbourne, all of that stuff was, this was probably like the peak area to be that sort of era of that radio station too definitely because i assume a lot of that stuff was all happening here a lot of those bands are from, from around yeah. here you know yeah totally um and and big day outs were just like a massive deal then to remember yeah. big day out was just like the pinnacle of that was the music festival there was no other music festival so i'd just save every penny i had to just go to the big day out yeah that year i remember my first big day out Foo Fighters and Grinspoon both played. Mm-hmm. Double whammy. Very good. So I wrote, I love you, Dave Grohl, all down my arms <laughs> in permanent marker. And it took me two weeks to get it off. My mum was so pissed. What year were you in at this point? I was 15. Okay. I love you, Dave Grohl. Um, and then when I saw Phil Jamison come on stage from Grinspoon for their set, I was in a pit and I started bawling. I started crying and I was so excited and I thought that was a totally appropriate reaction to have to a band on stage and I I remember the guy next to me just being like, 
Mate. What is this kid yeah, doing? Yeah, calm down. No, it's just like, it's oh, Phil Jamison. I love you, Phil. Yeah, and Phil <laughs> Jamison in Guide to Better Living era was this strangely um, androgynous yeah. character as well. Like, he used to wear, like, girls' hairpins and put uh, makeup on. Yep. And I was just like, this guy is it. And now you could bloody go <laughs> see him at the Bendigo or something. <laughs> and now, sometimes Phil Jamison tweets me and I just still think it's the sickest thing. <laughs> Ever happened at one point, I was crying today. about you in yeah, the pit. I still go, I revert back to that 15 year old and just go, Yes, um, I love you, Phil. That's great. <laughs> um, so how did it go then for you, sort of moving from that to more alternative type stuff? That was the peak of alternative at the time. Mm. <laughs> But I. But was that something that sort of settled for you for a while, or? No, I reckon it, it kept changing and and morphing. Like as I got into like late teens, I met a boy, mm-hmm. my first serious boyfriend in high school, and he loved punk rock. Yep. Um, he loved punk rock, and kind of, I was heading towards like bad alternative music, like Limp Bizkit. Mm-hmm. And Eminem, <laughs> and and kind of new metal. Yep. And he kind of threw punk rock in the mix there. He loves strung out and and ska music as well. Right, very good. Yeah. Something you've got to listen to. Yeah. So there's the whole like real big fish, uh, Goldfinger, <laughs> less than Jake era, deeply, deeply uncool music, which added, <laughs> it was rocking it at, at the, the time. time it was very cool. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was super cool. So then that's kind of, you know, it's just like molding, yeah. molding your musical influences. I discovered Rage about that time too. And I still rate Rage Against the Machine as one of the greatest bands too. of all time. Yeah. You, you do too. You yeah, were playing them. them at Assembly. Yeah. And I, I think I was one of those people who, like I'm sure a lot of people who listen to metal and stuff, I got, was like very against them for a while. I was like, no, oh, fuck that. It's like pop music. Just you know, everyone likes it. Yeah. 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 And then, I don't know, I guess when I was in like my, like I probably liked them a lot when I was like 12 or 13 and then like dipped out. And then when I, you know, sort of got over being the brutalist dude ever, <laughs> realized like, oh wait, this is fucking awesome. Like, yeah. It's sick. You couldn't deny it any longer. No, it's like, it's sick how simple it is. It's yeah. sick how catchy the riffs yeah. are. Yeah. Do you There's still rate it? Yeah. Listen, yeah. I actually listened to... Um, Evil Empire on the weekend when I was driving back from Phillip Island. Yeah, and it's still good. And I was like, this is sick. I can't, every time I listen to it and it comes up on a playlist, I'm just like, I still love this. I don't understand how, like, there are very few bands that you liked when you were that young. Yeah. You can still put on now and and be like, this is sick. You see that video that was floating around on Facebook a little while ago that was... Rage playing like an in store, a really tiny yes, in store. Yes, I have seen that. Yep. And they're all kids. Yeah. And it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think another thing for me was like, I um, heard that Run the Jewels record yeah. that he sings on. Yeah. And I was like, this is sick. I love that he's rapping yeah, on so something. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. And that, that was what made me listen to it on the weekend, was I was listening to that record. And then I was like, oh, I gotta put rage on. I don't know what it is, and right. they um, Zach was on this eat in this band called Wild. Was it uh, the song was called Wild Frontier? One Day's a Lion was mm-hmm. the band. You they had yep. like one EP. I worked on it when I was at Shock, and that's 
that's like he it's like he farted out four songs and all of them are great <laughs> you know what i mean I just, that's what he can the, do he's got the Midas touch i yeah. agree yeah just he's something about him mm. um so i guess from there where did did working in music start becoming a reality for you at any point through that or something that you wanted to do or um yeah i was obsessed with music throughout uni mm-hmm. um and what did you go to uni to years. so i went to uni to do media and communications yep um and was just going to gigs as much as i possibly could with that same dude going to like some 41 shows and strung <laughs> out and just living on the strung out message boards being very punk. just being super cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and I really wanted to work in music. I had no idea how hard it might be to do, but I was giving it a good hard crack anyway. I didn't even know what record labels existed, right? So I went through my CD collection and I turned the jewel case over and I just looked at the logos mm-hmm. <laughs> that were on the back. Yeah. And I was like, and then I would look them up on the internet and see if I could find a contact <laughs> for each that's, of them. That's and then quite like, in depth. What's yeah. up? <laughs> yeah what's up can i uh this is after i finish my degree can i come and work for you and i don't yeah. know what you do but do you help i ser- i'm pretty sure i emailed andy at poison city um and he got back to me as well which is really nice of him yeah because i reckon i was just like hello do you have any th- jobs <laughs> <laughs> can i do work for you yeah and he is there anything you can pay me to do yeah because i had the um, Poison City, um, Poison the World or something compilations that Poison City used to put out and mm-hmm. I looked looked on the back Poison City, okay, I'll try and work there and he got back and he was like, oh, it's just me <laughs> <laughs> I'm working from, you know, the back of my house Yeah, I was yeah. Like, oh, okay, cool And but Shock Records came up on the back of those jewel cases a lot mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, who's Shock and looked them up and they were Australian so I would email them too and be like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> this is my cover letter actually opened with hello. Just <laughs> <laughs> a picture of you looking really friendly. So I knew Shock was really, was a really sweet label because they, they were putting out like Burning Heart Epitaph, Fat mm-hmm. Records. Yeah. Um, the, the whole Shock Records was essentially founded on the success of Offspring Smash. Wow. Album. Yeah. They were really, really tiny independent kind of distributor and then epitaph was kind of a smaller punk label in the states and shock as i understand it offered them a distribution deal and smash blew up like Mm. it was such a massive album yeah and i'm pretty sure that album funded the next 10 years of shock as a business and allowed them to grow and take on you know lots of different things well the amount of labels that shock had in the end was crazy Mm. But yeah, so Shock was a big one and I kind of knew that they were a pretty cool company. Um, and then uh, when I was writing for for Beat Mag, the editor introduced me to a label manager at Shock after I told him I was looking for work. And he's like, M's good. Shock's good. Why don't you work there? And yep. bam. And what did you start doing when you started working there? I tripped over myself into a job in PR. I didn't even know what it was. I knew it involved communications and music, and I was like, sick. You've done that. Those <laughs> are things so, I've done. Yeah. I didn't really care, though. Like, yeah. I would have done anything. Mm. I would have I would have been happy to work in the mailroom. I'm sure I applied for like a mailroom slash receptionist slash whatever was going jobs at heaps of labels. Yeah. Um, so I fell into the promo department just being a coordinator, and it meant that I was literally wrapping up like promo cities and sending them to media, mm-hmm. just wrapping them 
just with a tape gun and cardboard yeah, wow. and a sticker. And that was most of my days. But I still thought that was incredibly sick. <laughs> I was like, I'm sending a strung out album to Rolling Stone. This is amazing. I have done it. I yeah, have I'm, done it. I, have a, I can sense a proximity to awesomeness. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm part of the machine. I can see like... a young me dancing to Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have seen it yep. here? I've arrived. <laughs> I have my tape gun and I've fucking arrived. So yeah. I didn't care. I loved it. And then mm. and then the rest of the time it shocking. I stayed there for five or six years and that was a good uh, mind expander in terms of different kinds of music because we had to work on... I wasn't just getting to work on fat record releases when I was at Shock. We had to work on cooking vinyl and, and sub-pop mm-hmm. you know, albums, which were anything from... Or like... Rodney Crowell and an old school, you know, folk jazz block parties, put a couple of Ricky Lee albums out, you know what yeah, I mean? Right. Like Shock did the full spectrum of music. and So did that sort of, did that expand your interest then as well? Yeah, do you I think so. Because you have to, I mean, you have to kind of understand the music that you're working on to successfully promote it. You can't <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. you can't try and I don't know what this is. <laughs> Pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're doing a pretty shit job if you're trying to promote an album that you don't essentially understand or haven't made an attempt to see the appeal in. So yeah, it's sure. like kind of like being forced, you know, to work with some great artists, but to really try and understand mm. what the appeal is, what the history was and who the audience might be and, you know, where you might get coverage in the media. Although I did make a mistake really early on with Shock. I was a real noob and it was my first... <laughs> this is an example of what not to do. <laughs> My first day of on-ground PR, which means when you, like, an artist is in town in market and you mm-hmm. take them out and you do maybe an in-store and you go and set up some interviews at radio stations or maybe some interviews in a hotel room and, like, you're basically out and about with the artist. And I had to, I was, <laughs> I had to do it with um, Tea Party lead singer. Yep. Jeff Martin was his name. Uh-huh. Um, and he was doing a lot of solo stuff and he was quite successful with it, but I was green as like, I was a really young PR girl. It's my first time I'd ever been out of the office and took the company car out and met Jeff in this hotel room, right? It was on, on Ligon street, like an apartment. And he had drawn all the blinds and lit (laughs) candles and had fine wine and cheese out. And it was like nine o'clock in the morning and he was a very serious you are a rock star. Very, yes, yes, Jeff, you are a rock star. <laughs> but he was a very serious fellow. He took everything very seriously and I was totally caught off guard. I was not well researched or well prepared to be sprung like with an artist that was this intense. Like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure my co-workers threw me <laughs> in the deep end of some kind of joke. Because, let's see what happens oh, with yeah, this. Yeah, let's, let's put the new PR girl in a room with, with a tea guy. party lead singer. And at one point between interviews, he, he sided up to me and he put his arm around me and he's like, Emily, I want, I want to ask you a question and you have to be honest with me. <laughs> and I was like, oh God. <laughs> What's going to happen? Because <laughs> you're still so overwhelmed by musicians at that point too, you know, like yeah. I still was in awe of these these people. These so I was, yeah, I didn't realize that they were just normal dickheads like They're the rest of dudes, us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, yes, Jeff. And he goes, what do you think of my new album? 
and I realized that I had not given it enough time and I had not taken <laughs> the time to listen to it a dozen times and understand it. Yeah. And understand, you know, the tea party and like his, and what his vibe was. Yeah. And stuff, like yeah. I didn't know. And so I was meeting with an artist and I didn't understand them. It was a huge mistake. And I remember just being like, oh God, oh my God, what am I going to say? And I was like, oh, it's great. Um, so good. Track so eight. I just love you know? it. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, tell me what, like, what's your vibe on it? And I was like, Jeff, I feel like it's like the tea party, but not. <laughs> my, my words. How did he react to that? <laughs> I think he was, he just nodded and he was like, okay. Ah, yes, this girl hasn't listened to this CD. <laughs> <laughs> Either he let me off the hook or he found some, some way for that to satiate his ego. I don't yeah. But I still tell that story. I still remember like that. She's so intimidated by me that she yeah, has to. Probably. He like must this. have known he was intimidating me. I was so green. I yeah. was so young. Probably could have seen the sweat forming on my brow as he asked me that. And he's just gone, <laughs> I'm going to fuck with this chick. <laughs> um, so from, from that experience, though, do you felt like. Instantly, you'd started learning the ropes of that sort of stuff, though? Or <laughs> yeah, was that well, something I that... that lesson super quick. <laughs> you cannot work on stuff that you, yeah, that you don't understand. That's kind of why we... Um, great segue, why we, Beck and I decided to, to leave Shock after five or six years and go and start our own company because mm-hmm. PR is so much easier when you work with stuff that you appreciate and understand. Yeah. Because... You're not just going to media and being like, okay, you know, you have Wikipedia'd the yeah, band yeah, yeah. before you take it to media and try and sell them on it. Mm-hmm. You can actually go to your media with this sense of familiarity and hopefully like a genuine passion for the music. Yeah, yeah. And that is what will sell it to yeah, you know, for sure. a radio presenter or a producer. Well, and, and having like an actual understanding of yeah the product as well, you know. Exactly. So instead of being at shock which was fantastic and and most of the stuff we worked on was really great but then bluffing our way through some of the other releases that mm. we would some of which to be honest you just didn't like but you still in turn had to turn around to media and be like this one is amazing yeah, blow your <laughs> this mind. album is the best yeah. so we decided let's just try and form a company where we can choose what we work with and hopefully work with good stuff so the process of promoting it is just super easy yeah. Because it's just believable. Like, media come to believe you when you bring them an album that you genuinely love. Because they can sense it. You know, yeah. they can tell straight away. And was that an easy transition for you then? Going from having the framework that was already there and I guess the client base and all that stuff from Shock. Was that an easy transition then? Taking on, you know, your own, um, you know, your own business and your own effort at doing that? Yeah, it was relatively easy. I think we were lucky. I don't think even from day dot, we didn't really have a lot of trouble finding people who wanted to work with us. And I think that wasn't necessarily a reflection of how brilliant we were or anything. It was just the fact that no one else was really doing it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that really worked for us super well that the heavy music was kind of just as we left shock becoming really popular. Soundwave was kind of yeah. building up yeah, to sure. become one of the biggest festivals in the world. Mm-hmm. And and artists were selling, heavy artists were selling heaps of copies, but that didn't necessarily meant, mean that the in-house team in any instance would know what to do mm. with the album when it came across their desk. Because yeah, right. it's like, bring me the horizon. Okay, these 
teenage goths are <laughs> selling yeah, they're hundreds of thousands of albums and they have a huge fan base. And some teams would look at it and just be like, I don't understand this music you know because he- heavier music is kind of intimidating and weird and if you don't have a general taste for it i can imagine it landing on your desk and just being like what the fuck is this yeah well and i imagine as well like that's something that's probably been very difficult for both the bands and the record labels when like bands like that and uh, you know other bigger bands like alternative bands do things like go with more you know popular rock record labels or like major record labels or things like that um that when they turn that corner like the campaigns and things that they have to create for them Mm. would be so foreign compared to anything else they've worked with yeah you know i'm sure like all those bands they have something to compare it to but it'd be like you know saying like oh we've got bring me the horizon we just did a Mastodon record or something. We already know how to do metal. But then just those two bands so are different. so vastly <laughs> different, you know. Yeah. But yeah. from, a, I guess, an outsider perspective, if you look at those two bands, you probably think they're exactly the same yeah, if you don't totally like this sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, in in their defense, I guess some heavy bands get to a point in their career where they are. I mean, Bring Me the Horizon are signed to Sony now. Mm. Um and they're an example of a band who got to a certain point of peak popularity where they were really not, they didn't need necessarily need a niche publicist or a niche team to guide them sure. to that path of, of selling out stadiums. They got there and a, a Sony team is pretty well equipped to, to deal, deal with, with bands of yeah, that yeah, size. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's important really early on for, for, heavy bands to work with people who really understand the music and understand whether it's post hardcore or, yeah, yeah, sure. you know, um, and, and know who to take it to. And exactly. To that's it. when you need someone who really understands it. But the bigger a band gets, the mm. more, I guess, capable a big company and a big label are of just taking it and running with it. Yeah. You know? So have you found then that that, um, for you guys means supporting a lot of uh, smaller bands and newer bands and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's, de- we definitely get way more, um, inquiries from, from brand new, really young bands than mm-hmm. we do from big ones. Yeah. Um, which is hard cause they're the hardest ones to work on too. Yeah. You know, the ones that cause you're trying to build it pretty much like yeah. it's no worries. I mean, working on something like Motley Crue, while incredibly hard work and you know you have to go through a billion different channels and there are rules and regulations about how they want to do interviews and Mm. um it's challenging in that way but at the same time as a publicist when you go to media and be like molly crew are available (laughs) everyone throws their hands up and your job is done there's a familiarity yeah for um, sure you know everyone knows tommy lee yeah i know people want to talk to them straight away but it's those the really young bands who regardless of they might be amazing yeah but so much work involved in getting them from that really new playing to small rooms and a handful of friend stage to anything beyond yeah. that like it takes so many hours of work mm. and it takes like you said like a super in-depth understanding of their music and sometimes with heavy bands they feel a bit weird about becoming popular and you know it's like a pop band where they 
want to navigate themselves straight to commercial radio. Mm. They want different things out of their music. Yeah. Um, so, and you've got to kind of put your reputation on the line a little bit here and there because, you know, if you've got this great tiny, tiny band who you want media to pay attention to, they've got like 50,000 other tiny, tiny bands yeah, all yeah. vying for that bit of attention. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's really hard work from our perspective because we have to be like, no, trust us, please, you know. Yeah, yeah. Take into our account our reputation and... And the work that we do and and trust us to listen to this one. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) You know? Mm. And it's hours and hours of work and years of work, really, in in building that. And sometimes, as it turns out, you get them to a point where they're they're doing pretty well. And then one of the bigger ones snatches (laughs) them up. They're like, oh, cool, job's half done. (laughs) Um, So has has that made things kind of hard in terms of the things that you select to do then? Like you have to sort of justify the amount of work that's going to be going into things. Yeah, totally. We if we could we could work with exclusively small bands, but it would be working like three times as hard. So we we try and take on the full spectrum. Yep. Just cuz there are different skill sets involved and different jobs involved with the yeah, yeah. bigger and smaller like a stadium campaign compared to a band who wants to headline the to- totally different jobs sure. so we try and take on a bit of everything just to make sure we're we're fit yeah yeah <laughs> we're fit and skilled and have the right things. contacts for, yeah for all of those things um yeah we just can't take on too many locals which yeah. sucks because there are heaps of them that are deserving and heaps of them that have worked really hard and saved up stacks of cash you mm. know and put it aside and gone we really want to invest in our band and we want a team together and we want to give it a big push but so much work. Can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what are the things that you've like that you've worked on that you've sort of seen the value of that growth for then? What are the things that you sort of feel proud that you've, you know, achieved with different bands? Heaps of bands, yeah. to be honest. Like, um, do you want like specific examples? Oh, or? I mean, whatever you want to share. <laughs> I, di- I didn't ask you to bring a list of these things. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get my client list yeah. out to get your names off. Yeah. Um, it happens more often than not. We're really stoked with what we can provide yeah. to younger bands. Um, it also turns out, a, a positive is that they're super appreciative sure. of the, the small wins. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, the, turnaround, <laughs> the turnaround's probably a, a little bit more... Yeah, you know. exactly. That's, uh, initially, a lot of bands are stoked to get on certain blogs and things, so that's <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, whereas it doesn't, doesn't take us a lot of work sometimes, so that's good. But yeah. um, we've worked with a lot of good Aussie bands. Um, Echo Vandal is a... <clears throat> a solo artist slash band that came to us out of out of nowhere just looking for some guidance or tips or help and we listened to her first song and just went, Oh my god, this is nuts, it's so good. Yeah. Um and she's doing great stuff now. She's signed to due process and making really great music. That's sick. Um I remember seeing Will Wagner playing Solo and as part of a Smith Will Wagner and a Smith Street band, you know, to a handful of people at the old bar many, yeah. many years ago. And again, just being like, this is so good. Reminded me of early against me. Sure. And just going, I need to be involved in this somehow. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's fantastic. And, and talking to those guys and just kind of going, can we 
let's work together. Let's just do something rad. Yeah, sure. Um, can we help you in any way? So that was really early on. And we ended up working with those guys a bit. Um, Benny's, a band called the Benny's, kind of similar deal. Mm-hmm. They were friends with Smith Street and came to us and said, you know, help what us. do you reckon? <laughs> Yeah. Then, yeah, I'm a scar fan. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Worked out well those years you got in there. Yeah, all those years of real big fish. I was like, yep. Paid off. I mean, um, a lot of Poison City bands, actually. Poison City was a is still such a great... After that job application After didn't go through. It's all, it's all looping back around. Yeah, yeah. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we went to Poison City again when we started Death Proof and said to Andy, you, the stuff you do is sick. Can you let us work on it yeah pretty much the same approach again and he was like oh i don't know i don't don't really need fancy prs and we're like just let's have a crack yeah let's have a crack at it and we've been working with andy for almost you know five years straight now doing all kinds of poison city releases and what's like the ongoing goal or the aspiration with stuff with death proof then like where do you see things going for it now it's sort of established, you've done quite a lot of awesome yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're kind of doing the same. We do a lot of the same stuff we did when we started, so small bands, but we're, we're getting to work on some like some bigger, gnarlier um, arena tours, which is super fun. We're doing a bit of brand stuff now, like we're working with some beer brands and, and stuff that's not necessarily within the realms of music, which is cool, it's interesting, yeah. and it's just different. Yeah, yeah. Um, usually, if it's not involved in music, it pays considerably more. <laughs> <laughs> well, good on them. Good on them yeah. for finding an industry that could pay. No, but just doing stuff that's not um, specifically... Well, it obviously changes things up, too. You want to keep it your does, job interesting yeah, as well. PR can be a drag sometimes. Like, it's a really ball-busting mm. line of work. So, we're just kind of looking at doing different things, Um you know, we started a, a website, a kind of pop culture blog, and we're throwing a couple parties. Um, you know, we're just kind of trying. That's the best part about being your own boss is that literally if, if Beck or I have an idea about something we might like to do, we'll just try and chuck it under the death proof banner, yeah. fund it see what with our own with business money and yeah. see what might happen. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um that's the best part about that create that creativity and the the license to just have a crack at yeah at whatever and do you feel like like the the point you're at now has come from like the lessons you learnt from doing stuff like at shock and things like that like or was that drive to you know be independent and be creative with what you're doing did that come from you know from as early on as being a kid or do you think that's sort of something you've learnt through the different jobs you've had I definitely didn't think it was going to be that interesting. I thought I was just going to do more music PR when I started mm. Death Proof. I thought it was going to be more of the same. And that was totally fine with me. Like yeah, That yeah. sounded just swell. I think there's every chance that us trying to branch out and do different things as a result of us um, wanting to do something that's not music PR. You know what everyone's like it. Yeah. At our age, like you kind of in the same profession for for a decade or so, and you start going, okay, <laughs> no, <I need> to <laughs> what think of else, else is out there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's happening to a lot of my mates anyway. Like yeah. they've studied the one thing, and then they've gone on to work in that field for a decade, and then you do start to get really restless. Mm. Apparently, it's you know our generation that's 
can't just doing this. Can't, can't just, just settle and do something. Can't for just become years. a bloody teacher and just stay yeah, yeah. satisfied with that for for thirty years. So I think it didn't anticipate us trying to do other stuff and branch out, but mm. we just got restless and had the capacity to. So, so thought, why not do it? it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, all right. Well, do you have anything you want to advertise <laughs> to the world? You're a PR to person. Advertise. This is what you do. <laughs> yeah, just go through all our upcoming releases. <laughs> go through all the tours. Yep. No, I don't have anything that I need to advertise. We are lucky that we're not never, ever um, struggling for work. Touch wood. You're sitting on... <laughs> there's wood in that couch. Just for the time being. <laughs> yeah, we're super, we're super lucky. We don't have to promote ourselves too much. If we want to promote ourselves, we just chuck a party. That's the fucking best way to promote anything. Just have a party. That's it. Just have a party and put some bands on. Yep. Have a sick time. Cool. Well, thank you for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me. My fun. pleasure. Thank you for coming to Oak Park. It's awesome. Place. Oak Park is the new Brunswick. Yep. Here we are, guys. Pay attention. You heard it here first. All right. Thanks. <laughs>